We've all been there. You know, when your friends decide to make last minute plans, but you can't go because it takes at least two business days to convince your parents. You're listening to Unsween and Unfilter the Podcast, episode 36 of season two. In today's episode, we sit down with Zaina Bejwa to discuss the topic of growing up sheltered, the long-term effects of it, and what exactly is codependency? Hello, everyone. We are getting close to the end of the year, and I thought, what better conversation to have than the one about growing up sheltered? For some of us, this could be a very triggering topic. It brings back blissful memories of our parents just basically saying no to everything without even a valid explanation. I'm telling you guys, I used to stand in front of a mirror and practice the speech that I was going to give my parents, and they still had the audacity to say no without hesitation. I was also not even allowed to have non-Muslim friends because my parents literally thought that they would introduce me to drugs, smoking, you name it, I know. Going to the mall with my friends, that was laughable to even think that was possible. I didn't even have a cell phone until I was 18 and sleepovers were a big no-no. Listen, I can honestly go on and on, but now when I look back at these moments, I laugh and feel a little sorry for my younger self. But kudos to her for trying. Now, fast forward to adulthood, more so navigating life in my 30s, I often wonder what effects growing up sheltered has had on me. Now, don't get me wrong, I had an amazing childhood and I absolutely loved and appreciated my parents. But the bulk of my life's pain points really lied in the transition phase from being a teenager to becoming an adult who has her own car, job, and goes to college. In this episode, Zaina and I sit down with Zainab from the New York Nest to talk about this topic, now that we are full-grown adults and at least one of us is a mother. What is our perspective on how we grew up and do we consider ourselves codependent? Do sheltered children grow up to be sheltered adults? How did we each face the real world and what about our decision-making skills and coping mechanisms? Let's dive in, shall we? I think this is a conversation that's very highly requested because I think majority of us, I don't want to speak on behalf of every single person, but I feel like we grew up really sheltered. And in some ways, I don't know if there is a connection between growing up sheltered and then when you transition into adulthood, does that make you codependent or are these two separate things? So I hope this conversation somehow gets us the answers that we need. Again, we're not all experts, but I think we all, you know, have our fair share of the way we were brought up and it was pretty similar. So Zainab, thank you so much for joining us today. Honestly, I absolutely loved your post about codependency and I felt like this is a conversation we haven't touched yet. So if you would like to introduce yourself and then we can get right into it. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. Um, So my name is Zainab and I am a full-time creator based in New York. I'm a new mom, although my son is almost four. I still say that I'm a new first-time mom, Um, (laughs) a wife, and uh, right now still stay stay at home mom but um like I said I do a lot of my blog work from home you know growing up my mom was overprotective and I used to be so upset at her when she said I couldn't go places or do things and I would look at my friends and they were doing those things and going to those places but as an adult I think I have a new appreciation for how I was raised but I think as I'm maturing I see that growing up too oversheltered can actually lead to some negative negative things so I feel like this is this is my situation. I grew up very sheltered. I had very, very overprotective parents. I'm telling you, like, I was not allowed to even just go to my soccer games alone, like with my friends. Like my mom always had to be there. And it's like, you look back on those things and on those moments and you kind of wish like you were a little bit kinder towards your parents. Like they were very loving. They were, they were yeah. very present in our lives. And, you know, a lot of people, especially us, we take that for granted. And some people don't have parents that actually do show up to their games and are always very present in their lives and whatnot. But I felt like there is like this fine line it's it's like a it's like almost like an invisible line that I feel like our parents cross and it's very blurred lines and I feel like I wish there were moments where I was a little bit independent because now you know kind of living back with my parents again, I'm still, as an adult, I still feel in a way I'm sheltered. But then it's also mixed with codependent behaviors on my end. So it's, it's I don't know, it feels like sometimes it feels like, yes, I'm glad my parents were there for me. I'm glad that they, you know, were, were kind of like almost like my guardrails, like they kind of veered me onto the right path. But at the same time, it's like, I never got to experience life more making more mistakes. And I feel like you do generally learn more that way. How were you raising up? Do you feel like you were sheltered or do you feel like you had very overprotective parents? How was your upbringing? 
I think both of those kind of go hand in hand. My parents were really overprotective. I was the oldest and only daughter. I have two younger brothers and my younger brother is five years younger than me. And my second younger brother is seven years younger than me. So we also had some strange large age gap. So not only was I alone here, I was kind of like the guinea pig, like the first child. So they, <laughs> so yeah. growing up, like I was the first one in line to, you know, test things out as far as how my parents wanted to do this whole parenting thing in the States, because it was new for them as well. But there were a lot of times I look back and I realized that um, my parents kind of just really, really protected me as much as they could only because they thought that they were doing doing the right thing. And being immigrant family and the first immigrant family from both my mom's side and my dad's side, I think they were kind of lost as to how to tread in this country, um, especially having a daughter. So little things, just like after school stuff, um, middle school and high school was very difficult for me because a lot of times I wasn't able to participate fully and be as involved as my peers were. And it wouldn't make sense for me because as a child, you're like, wait, why can't I just go here and hang out at Samantha's house after school? Like everybody else was doing it and I was not allowed to. And there was no like reason really given to me. And anytime I was told, it was kind of like, oh, you'll you'll get to understand. We just don't think it's the right thing to do for you, you know? So socially, it really affected my friendships. It affected, you know, a lot of parts of my life growing up and a lot of experiences that I wanted to have. But looking back, I mean, I cannot be mad at my family for doing things the way they did because they were just operating from what they knew and what they thought was best for me at that time. If that makes sense. That yeah. totally makes sense. And you brought up so many great points because I'm the oldest and the oldest girl. It's like, you can't just say I'm the oldest. Like you have to also preface the fact that, yeah, you're also the oldest girl and you have immigrant parents who are completely new, new to the States. They don't know what the heck is yeah, going no on. No one gives them a guidebook on how to parent in America. Yeah. You don't know what's, what's out there in that, in the real world and whatnot. So I feel like our parents really sheltered us from things that made them uncomfortable more so than made us uncomfortable. And I feel like it did affect my friendships because when I was younger, I didn't have solid friendships. I didn't have girls that I can literally go over their house and we're best friends and all that stuff. It was my friendships literally ended as soon as that 3 p.m. school bell rang. And then that's it. Like rarely was it that I could call them on the phone and chit chat with them and whatnot. There's only so much you can chit chat if you can't hang out with them outside of school. So I felt like it did hinder my social relationships in a way. Really, Like, how did you, how was it for you, Zena? Yeah, I feel like, you know, your friends who are your second or third grade classmates don't understand why everyone can go over their house and you can't attend their sleepovers. Like, they don't understand. And for me, it was like, you know, yeah, like you said, like, as soon as that bell rings, it's kind of like the friendship is over until the next morning. I think for me, going to college and making friends was a little bit difficult because of that. Because you are sitting in the library studying with them and you are seeing them outside of class. And I didn't really know how to bridge that connection between like classmates and friends outside of class. This is how my situation happened. I felt like as soon as I got my car and I went to college, Oh my God, you guys, I just like rebelled like no other, but to a certain extent, it's not like I was like, oh, I'm not coming home for three days and you guys can't tell me that I can't stay out till 3 a.m. But it was like, I just, I felt like I went off the rails. You a tasted little a little bit much. of freedom. Yeah, that's what it was. Tasting freedom at that age was just not a good mix at all. I made the worst friendships or I guess I cultivated the wrong friendships with the wrong people and I felt like I don't know it just it, it's like yeah you taste freedom and you take whatever you can get even just friends that are not the best for you and just situations like where sometimes yeah I wasn't going to all my classes it was like oh my god this is my moment I have my car I want to go out and do something and I can just easily you know catch up on class it was just a lot of wrong choices that I made at that time in my you know in your formative years it's college and it's like I wish I focused more so on my college classes and whatnot instead of just wasting my time with people that not one person from that college do I talk to. Yeah, you know, it's funny because when you said the act of rebellion and whether it's skipping school or getting your first car, I remember when I got my first job and eventually I got my first car. And it is weird because you're almost like hitting this this high that everybody before you has already experienced. So you're late to the party. You already have a lot of catching up to do, right? So it's the most innocent experiences that you're trying to live out that you were kind of not given the opportunity to. And somehow, like you said, you end up be making mistakes because you're still trying to learn 
how to even come about or, you know, how to have those experiences for you. And as you're doing it, you do make a lot of mistakes. And it's funny because, you know, growing up, your parents will like simply like we were talking about not not being able to go over to your friend's house after school or something. And then once you get a car, you got your car keys, you got like, you know, you have a schedule to tell your parents like, hey, I'm not going to be home till 10 o'clock. And you're like, hey, I can do anything I want until 10 o'clock today. Exactly. So you start shoving things into your time that you otherwise wouldn't even want to do. So it's just a very, very strange coming to age story as and, you know, immigrant, young adult, uh, you know, children, children of the immigrants. It's just very strange. It doesn't play out as naturally as other children. Yeah, just in general, like it's uh, the way we have to navigate our friendships and uh, all that stuff. It's, it's very different than anybody else's experience. I like that you said innocent because I'm telling you guys, like my, <laughs> I felt like I exaggerated with the rebellion, but it's just like you feel like you're you're rebelling because these are things that you are not allowed to do. And technically, you are still not allowed to do. It's just your parents kind of got sick of dropping you off all the way to your college campus. Like my parents allowed me to have a car out of convenience for them. It wasn't more so like, yes, this is your coming of age. I hope you enjoy your life. No, it was yeah. more like, listen, you have four other siblings and I can't be dropping all of you guys off. So somebody is going to get a car and that's you. And that's that's basically what happened. That's really what it was. I, I just feel like when it comes to our parents, I wish that they didn't raise us in a way where we felt like we had to rebel. But not only that, I think the worst thing is lying to them. I, I feel like they almost kind of raised their kids to lie in a way. And I know that sounds so extreme, but it's true. We've all lied to our parents because we wanted to go by so-and-so's house. But really, we told our parents we were studying in the library for an exam. And our parents believed us for that one hour. But really, we were hanging out with friends, again, doing innocent things. And it's like, I wish I never had to feel like I had to lie about something so innocent because I wish like there was this relationship with my parents where they're very open-minded and they're very understanding and they trust me. But the thing is with my parents, they always said this and they always ingrained this in our minds. They're like, it's not you that I don't trust. It's that the outside world oh, yeah, that I've I don't trust. Oh yeah, I've heard that so much. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm like, okay, but like, and I always would hit them with the whole thing, but like if it's written and my mom's like, don't even try to pull that like religion card on me if it's written. No, she's like, you can avoid things. She's like, if you've heard the whole, if you can tie your camel or trust God and tie your camel, she's like, that's like little how I'm raising you. She's like, I just don't trust the outside world. And it's like, and you get so pissed off because it's like, what the heck? Like, I know myself. I know my limits. Like, how are you going to restrict me from doing things? Because you're like basically assuming the worst out from the, the real world. And nowadays, 2020, we see the real world is just like in oh shambles. Oh a shit show, honestly. Yeah. And, and for that and that reason, like as an adult, as a grown up who, you know, doesn't have any kids right now, but will one day, I'm actually in that sense happy because you really can't trust the outside world mm-hmm. like I hear all these stories about what my friends have gone through now like they're telling me and it's like thank god I didn't have to witness that thank god I didn't have to experience that because my mom did shelter me a little bit she did was overprotective in that sense so I feel like there is a balance of yes be protective over your kids but still have them be their own person at the end of the day and be able to make their own decisions mm-hmm Yeah, no, I completely agree. The type of mom that I aspire to be when my kid is old enough to make these type of decisions or is faced with these type of challenges in middle school or high school and college is I never want my son or if I do have a daughter one day to be scared of just calling me when they're in trouble. Because my biggest fear would be like, wow, like I'm stuck in a rut. If I call my mom, she's going to be so upset. If I call my dad, he's going to be so upset because I'm not even supposed to be here right now. And I don't ever want that thought or that dilemma to be something my children have to deal with. And I feel as though this is a lot of the millennials, parents that that have the same type of um, idea in mind, that we want to raise our kids where we find that perfect balance of me trying to protect you because I do ultimately know more than you do. You know, mm-hmm. you are younger than me. There is some, there's in some capacity, I'm right. And you have to respect that. But also on the other side, I need to understand that these experiences, even if they make mistakes, as long as they're honest mistakes, or even, you know, whatever life mistakes they make, they will always learn from them. If it doesn't cause them direct harm or direct, be putting in direct danger or something, it is okay. Everything in life is fixable. And I just want them to be open enough with me and my husband to come to us and be like, hey, this is the issue that I'm in because I made this mistake and it was wrong and I acknowledge it, but I'm learning and I'm moving on and I need your help. And that is a conversation I'm happy to have with my kids any day, you know, because I, I never really was able to be 
that open with my family. You know, a lot of the mistakes I made growing up were in private and then I had to fix them in private. And it was really devastating sometimes because you feel so alone. So I think just, just that, that right balance of letting them do what they want while also being their parent and letting them know that you do have a little bit of right over them. That's so beautifully said because it's so true, Zainab. Like, it's not only that you're sulking over the mistake that you made, but you don't even ha- know how sometimes to rise from that mistake when you don't have people like your parents who are very well versed when it comes to this world and how to go about things and how to solve situations and stuff like that. We tend to kind of go seek that solution from our friends who are kind of in the same boat as us. Oh, like, yeah. they don't how, know better than us. Yeah. How are you seeking advice for somebody that's just as lost as you? Like, I would have loved to be able to be open with my parents with certain things, certain relationships that I've gone through and whatnot. And it, it would have been nice to even just talk about my, the stressors of my daily life like it's it's enough that you have to deal with parents who are very overprotective but then you have your own like personal struggles that you're going through and I feel like it would have also saved me a lot of just like this feeling of like living that double life I think we've mentioned this before in a previous conversation is just like you act a certain way with your parents and then you kind of are a completely different pe- person outside of their home with other friends and whatnot so yeah. that's something I think I really struggled with and that's why I'm saying like looking back at this and having this conversation right now I don't think I'm resenting my parents for this for the fact that I didn't get to go to Ashley's house when I was younger. I, you know, when you look back, it's like these people are kind of non-existent in your life right now. You realize, like, you know, people just come and go in your life. I think what why I kind of almost like hold this little bit of resentment, it's because of how I'm living my life currently. And because of how I feel like I'm not making the right decisions because I'm kind of, you know, my coping skills are not the best because that's not how I was raised. I was raised to just, you know, yeah, almost kind of be independent when it comes to solving your own issues behind your parents' back. And it's like, yeah, you you didn't have that guidance that you wish you had, or just that feeling that you are very empowered and your parents trusted you to make your own choices. I think that's why we're going to talk about codependency in a bit. But is that how you guys felt? Like you're, it's not like you're holding resentment because you couldn't go over so-and-so's house or the after-school activities. Mm-hmm. It's just how you're feeling right now and how you've been living your life and trying to kind of not make the same mistakes over and over again. I think, yeah, it, it's definitely not like, hey, I'm upset because I wasn't able to stay after school. <laughs> I think it just, it molds you. Every little thing, every, you know, experience, whether an experience that you've received or an experience that you were robbed of or you, that you didn't receive, I think all of them together mold you and they shape your personality. They shape your decisions. They shape how you cope with people, how you talk to them, how you identify your own feelings. They, it's just, it's, it all just shapes who you are as a young adult. And I think looking back now that I know the things that I know and the, you know, life experience, little like life experience that I still do have, I feel like, wow, like some of sometimes the parenting, you know, mistakes I would say they made with me were very very poor and in poor taste. And just like, it's still like, I, there's no excuse for it. And it's funny because my parents have progressed so much in the last, I would say five years than they have ever before. I don't know what it is, but they've, they've just progressed in such a beautiful, wonderful way that at this point, now that in my, I'm in my thirties, I recently had very open dialogue with them, but it has taken me over 30 years to get to that point where I can sit down with them and talk to them about my feelings and my trauma and like just things that even my past, like things that I've wanted to say with, say to them because of, you know, whatever issues we've had or whatever, you know, conflicts where we have been trying to resolve. So I will definitely say that they have come around and I, I hope this is true for a lot of people because sometimes, you know, they blossom later in life. Mm-hmm. Um, just, just like, uh, you know, kids blossom later at certain times. So some parents are like that, some immigrant parents. And I say that because I've, I've talked to other friends who've kind of said the same thing. But yeah, like in that place, in that time, in that year, they did in that moment what they thought was best for me. And if that is true, I forgive them for everything because you were doing what you thought was best for me. Ultimately, it probably wasn't best for me at that time, but you didn't know that. So I can't blame you for it. Just like I said, it's it's a part of you getting shaped into whoever you are today. And sometimes you have to break through that trauma and break through those, uh, the guardrails that they've had up for you. And ultimately, sometimes you even come out stronger because 
you've had to really work hard to become the person that you are. And so, you know, it's not always bad, I guess. Yeah, I think looking back, it's always about growth. And I think the same way that we can look back at our mistakes and say, in that moment, I thought I was making the right decision. And now looking back, obviously, I know I wasn't. I think our parents do that as well. And they look back at their kids and think, okay, I raised good kids. I shouldn't have been so strict or tough because they would have been the same person they are right now if I hadn't been. I think also, yeah, we have to be soft towards our parents. Like this conversation isn't meant to bring down our parents and say they didn't raise us right. No, I I'm, I speak for myself and my siblings, but we had the most amazing childhood ever. Mm-hmm. Honestly, everything that we've ever wanted, my dad provided for us. Anytime, you know, we had family trips, everything. I absolutely love my family. And to this day, we are like so, so close, like a little too close sometimes. <laughs> but it's like, I, I love that. It's I think just the pain point lies in the transition from just being sheltered and living with your parents and then transitioning into the real world. And I think our parents kind of, because they didn't know the real world themselves either. I mean, they came from their own homelands to a world completely foreign to them. This world was never foreign to us. This is where we were born. We were born in the States. This is all we've ever really known. I mean, we visit our homelands and it's for us, it's vacations. But to our parents, that's the place where they grew up. That's the place where where it holds all their memories, their precious memories. And that's the place where it still holds their own parents and their family and extended family and whatnot. So I think for me, it's just like, I wish there was a way to go about this. And it's very hard to compare your parents to other non-Muslim parents. Because yes, again, we went to very public schools. People were allowed to do whatever the heck they wanted from prom to dances to everything. And that's something that I felt like at that point, I felt like those were major milestones. And I felt like, oh, I was like robbed of that. But when you look back, I mean, really, like it's just it's laughable. Like what is prom going to do? You just felt left out. That's all it was. You felt left out. It doesn't matter, though. Yeah. Like your self-esteem, like you're like, what? I can't even go to prom. It kind of hurts you. And like, like I said, it becomes a part of your story. And one day you're in your late twenties or you're in your thirties and you look back and somebody's like, Hey, so what did you wear for prom? And you're like, I didn't get to go to prom. And it just kind of like comes and like stabs you. And you're like, dang, why was I not allowed to go to prom? Like it's nothing. It's a dinner. It's a dinner dance, you know? But, um, yeah. So little by little, that's how it trickles in. No, you're right, Zena. It does. It does trickle. Like I think at that moment you just look at that that little prom dance, but really it does somehow affect you in the long term. Everything that happens to you somehow, some way, kind of comes to the surface again. And I just feel like our parents always viewed us as an extension of themselves. I think the difficult part of being raised by immigrant parents is that you don't feel like you're an an individual. You don't feel like you kind of can make your own choices. That you're separate from your parents. And we talked about this just recently in our snaps. I feel like my parents have happiness will never be independent of my personal life choices. And that's a lot of, that's that's a a huge responsibility on you, you, especially when you're the oldest. I do feel like, yeah, like your parents, Zainab, my parents have come around. They've completely changed. They've completely transformed. But at the same time, it's like, it sucks that I was the one that had to go through all this first as the oldest. I had to be (laughs) the one that, like you said, the guinea pig. And, and there was just so many rules and oh my God, it was just never ending. And then you see your siblings and they're just like, curfew what (laughs) yeah i could do whatever i want my family (laughs) yep i was the first one and they're like okay we tried with her and you know that's fine yeah (laughs) we don't it's okay she's fine i guess you'll you'll work out fine too but yeah no it's so funny because prom like i mean i was like i said growing up i wasn't really allowed to do much but i remember prom came and my dad took me prom shopping and you know as like a pakistani father like i remember going to some department store and just trying on dresses and my dad was like standing outside the fitting room and I couldn't really show because like how do you walk out in front of your like immigrant (laughs) father and for some reason I don't my mom wasn't with me for some reason that day my dad I think I was upset I think I was I was upset because initially they said I couldn't go and then my dad was was trying to make me feel better. And he's like, okay, you can go. I did actually eventually end up going to my prom, but he took me prom shopping. And it was like a very awkward experience at that time and that age for me. Very, very awkward. And my poor father, like he just, he didn't even know what to do. But looking back at it, it was, I remember how heartwarming it was. Just knowing that he actually got up that day and took me, even though it probably was not easy for him to, you know, take me prom dress shopping. Like what kind of dad does that? This was like decades ago. So it's just, it's, it's really heartwarming. And that goes to show you that they always had deep inside, they always had love for you and they always wanted to, to make you happy in, in the best way that they knew. And sometimes that way was not 
the best way, you know, as far as what the world sees, but in their heart it was. And that's the one thing that always keeps me going. Our parents' love language is very different than the love language that we see, you know, from other parents from like outside of like, you know, the Muslim community and whatnot. But yeah, that's that's a huge step for a dad to do that. And I feel like my dad and my mom both, they show their love in non-conventional ways, not the normal way. And that's okay because when you look back on that, it kind of means a lot more than the typical like, oh, let me hug my kids or let me say I love you. Like they showed us they loved us in so many more different ways. And sometimes it's not as direct, but when you get older, you do see that. And I feel like when it comes to our parents, when you when we think about when we talk about being sheltered and when our parents are very overprotective, the end goal was to always protect us. So it was always done out of love, not out of spite, not because they want to make our lives miserable or anything like that. It's just I wish I kind of knew then what I know now. I wish I appreciated my parents a little bit more. And I wish I had a little bit more open communication. Like I expect that out of my parents. But what about us? You know what I mean? Why didn't why didn't I know how to communicate with my parents and just sit them down and talk to them? It was more more so like, oh my God, I was just frustrated, angry, slammed the door shut, end of conversation. Mm. I was saying like at that age, like how do you even know enough to be able to communicate with your parents or try to teach them things that, you know, they're, they're not open to change at that point. You already know as immigrant parents, like they're not, they're not going to look at you as their daughter and be like, oh, you're going to tell me like mm. how this world works. I'm the one that brought you here. So I think it's very difficult to you know, expect our younger selves to have those really, really difficult and hard conversations with your parents. So I know sometimes I feel like I could have done things differently or stood up for myself or whatever. But realistically speaking, yeah, I just don't think that that was really an option for me. You know why I say that, Zaina? Because I look at me and my sister and we're like, I was the one that would slam the door and she would be the one that would just joke around with them and kind of like milk them in a way and she would get her <laughs> way. So I was like, okay, there might be a little, I, I just feel like if I, if I wasn't so angry, I would have probably done a little bit better. I felt like maybe then we wouldn't be fighting for three days straight over something that they have already said no to and that, that already passed and whatnot. I feel like there was just a different way to go about it. But yeah, I can't be like, I, I can't be who I am right now as an adult knowing how to communicate with my parents. But I just wish I just like was a little bit more softer on them and not so angry. But again, you know, it's easier to say it now than being in that situation. Exactly. Again. You're not equipped with the tools yeah. to learn how to communicate when that's not something that you're used to. That's not something that you're seeing in your own household. So I think you can't hold yourself responsible for how you acted as a kid. How do you guys feel about making decisions? I feel like this is the one thing that, you know, coming from a family that sheltered me and whatnot, obviously, like I felt like my family always made, like, you know, my mom and my dad always like made the choices for me and on my behalf. I just knew that there was like, even if I went against them, there's just no way that, you know, I can put my foot down. But I feel like now as an adult, I'm very indecisive with decisions. I'm, I am I feel like I could just do a little bit better because I've always relied on my parents in a way. Yes, I didn't want them to make my decisions for me. But at the end of the day, it's like you kind of indirectly rely on them. And you feel like, okay, whatever they say goes, I guess I have to trust them. But now as an adult, it's like you kind of don't have anybody to fall back on and you were not prepared to make decisions on your own. How do you feel about that as an adult now, Zainab? I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, it leaves you very confused because you really second guess yourself and you cannot like make those brave and bold decisions that perhaps you might have otherwise. But it's really difficult to even identify your feelings because it's like you you've been kind of denied that right to feel just who you are like as a whole and you know you've always had like your parents or your loved ones to kind of fall back on or to talk things through with but ultimately they've always made the moves for you so now being an adult and fa being faced with like d difficult or big decisions I mean I I would lie if I say I don't pick up the phone and call my parents yeah. sometimes still but even in, in times where you're you're by yourself and you have to put your foot down for something sometimes it is a little more difficult because you are so so used to somebody else checking off the boxes for you. And it's such a huge responsibility for you to now be like, oh, this is going to be all me. Like if I sign this dotted line, this is all me. And that feeling of fear, I think is probably more like, I guess, enhanced or, or, or stronger, deeper feeling of fear than it would be for somebody that 
perhaps has done this a million times before and they're more confident in who they are because they've never had to rely on somebody else and they've already made these mistakes and grown from them where me like I'm like oh like should I do this should I not like I'm still kind of left in confusion sometimes because I haven't had to make those decisions for myself for a majority of my life exactly you know for me it's even simple stuff it doesn't have to be like these big life-changing choices it's simple as like choosing a couch like I'll like text a picture to my mom text it to my husband like text my friends like oh like Mm -hmm. I cannot make a decision by myself because I feel like what if it's the wrong decision I need validation I guess I guess it stems from confidence you're yeah it, it, look yeah whether it's you're picking your couch or it's a really life-changing situation maybe relationship issues or something like that that you don't know how to compromise and I think that's the one thing I think when it comes to relationships I think I have a difficult time listening to the other person's advice and just their guidance because I feel like all my life I've always listened to my parents and it's like I never was I was never able to live on my own and be my own person and make my own decisions. I felt like, you know, you just transitioned from like your parents' house to just being married. So it's like you almost kind of felt like, like, you know, your choices were always molded by other people. I'm not saying like whoever you marry can't like help you out or guide you. I think that's beautiful. I think you do want a spouse that's there for you and looks out for you, gives you the best advice possible. But sometimes it's this weird trigger in you that it's like, no, I know what's best for me. Stop telling me what to do. And it's like you take out Mm -hmm. that anger on the wrong person, which is the person you're in a relationship with, when it's really, it's just, it stems from just always being told what to do, how to be, how to act by your parents and what decisions to make. And it's like, when can I, as a grown woman, as a grown adult, make a decision by myself? And it's like, you have to realize, like, sometimes you it's you have to compromise. And that brings us to the topic of codependency. I do want to define it because, again, it's very vague. And some people maybe just recently just started learning about what codependency is. But basically, it's just a psychological concept that, like, refers to people who feel extreme amounts of dependence on, like, their loved ones in their lives. And they feel responsible for the feelings and and actions of those loved ones. So it's like, however that person feels, whatever emotional state they're in, you feel like it's because of you, that you're responsible for them, or you're responsible to fix broken people, quote unquote, broken people. But you mentioned this, Zainab, what made you talk about it or bring up this subject? Because I I don't see a lot of people talking about it. And I think it's such an important topic within our Muslim community. Um, I don't think it was like a trigger, like, oh, I want to just start talking about this. I think it's something that I've felt deeply just as I've grown up, especially in the last couple of years after becoming a mom and just, you know, trying to define or outline what type of parenting style I want to adopt. And I've been doing a lot of reading on parenting and books and stuff. So it just, it was something that's always been lingering. (laughs) And like, you know, I felt it always, I just, just, you know, I was like, oh, you know what, I want to post this and I want to talk about this. And I was actually surprised at the amount of people that um, related to it. And it's the same story almost every time I hear it. And it's, and for you, I'm so happy that for you, you've kind of moved on to the rebellious phase with your significant other or whoever else is in your life that is Mm -hmm. of any authority to you. Because what I'm seeing in a lot of young women who are leaving their parents' house finally and are either getting married, sadly, you know, skipping the middle part of having any time or space alone. But now as they're entering relationships and lifelong commitments with their partners, they are not rebelling or they're not still standing up for themselves. They're kind of taking these same habits that were given to them you know, or kind of put into them from their family and they're taking it. And now their partner or their husband is taking the space of their mom and dad. And he's kind of calling the shots. And sometimes he doesn't even do it on purpose. It's just, they're so used to it that they expect him to take that spot. And he does, you know, it's, it's just, it's something that I've seen in a lot of women. Like it's very, very common, especially in our culture. And it makes me sad. It really does because, you know, a lot of people, even in our age, or if you want to call us millennials, like, yeah, we don't, we still sometimes lack the resources that we do need to kind of navigate a relationship because I just, I, I feel like we struggle with that. And I feel like somehow, some way, we still find this way of being heavily reliant on our significant other or aside now from our parents. And it doesn't mean you're clingy and needy. It does yeah, not yeah. mean that you're not clingy, you're not needy, but it's just this natural instinct to feel like you have to rely on that person. And it almost kind of, gives you this sense of identity. And that's the thing, like you beautifully said it, Zainab, you said something about identity and how like, you know, it's beautiful to be a mother, it's beautiful to be a daughter, a sister, a friend, but who are you? Who are you at the core? And I think sometimes it's like, when I describe myself, it's like, yeah, I'm this person's daughter, I'm this person's sister, I have this many friends, this and that. It's like, but who am I? If I were able to detach myself from all these people, who am I? And I think that's what scares us the most is trying to define who we are outside of relationships, the relationships that we have in our 
our lives right now. I mean, our, our significant other, our family and everything, that's beautiful. These are relationships that we worked hard for. And I think these are beautiful relationships that were given to us by the will of Allah. But at the same time, it's like, I want to be able to navigate this life where I can give myself this true purpose where I feel like I am whole on my own. I don't have to be attached to somebody. And that's the thing. When you are attached to somebody, it's almost like you're slowly detaching from yourself. And that's something Nedjwa said in her book that I was reading, Nedjwa Zibian, and it was so beautifully written. It was just such a simple sentence, attachment to others. Basically, you're t- detaching from yourself. Yeah, it's almost like you're filling a void because you sometimes feel empty. You're like, whoa, like, and you don't even want to be alone in your thoughts. You don't, you know, you have to fill them with something. So you find other people and you find relationships and you find them in people that are around you, your children. And there's nothing wrong with that. You know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. There's, you know, your loved ones and your kids and your spouse, they're such a huge part of your life that that's very natural. But when it's hard for you to even spend a few days by yourself somewhere. If it's hard for you to be alone by yourself, that's when it gets scary. It's just, you have to put yourself just, you know, by yourself somewhere and be able to be okay with the thoughts that are in your mind and be happy with just who you are without anybody around you. And just your solitude should be very, very peaceful for you. And I've realized that for some people, it's not. They get very uncomfortable when they are alone or where they have to just be alone with their thoughts um, because they've never really have done that before. And that's when it gets a little scary. And I've you know worked on myself in the last couple of years long and hard to just be comfortable and happy with the decisions that I make with who I feel on the inside and just spend a lot of quality time by myself and I think it's the best thing I've ever done because every anytime I do that or make myself a priority I learn so much more about myself and who I am and who I want to be and I think it's really important for everybody to focus internally. Yeah, I mean, how can we choose a partner? How can we make our life decisions if we really don't know who we are and what we want? And that got me thinking as you were talking, I wonder if how codependent we are affects who we choose as a partner. I think it kind of does. It does, right? Because I think we're always seeking that relationship. Like, I need someone who's going to take care of me. I need someone who's going to validate my decisions. I need someone who's going to help me make my decisions for me. You know what I mean? I feel like how codependent we are really does affect who we choose as a life partner. There's another flip side to codependency. That's why it's such a vague topic. Yeah. There's people, I think everybody can define it in their own way. And however, because again, it goes back to how you were raised too. But I feel like there's also codependents who are so busy taking care of others that they forget to take care of themselves. And I think that's something that we lose ourselves in that we're just, we feel this load of responsibility to make sure that everybody around us is good from our parents to our loved ones, to our kids, to just friends, everybody, that we forget to just check in in ourselves and to fill our cup. Because it's like, because we had the guests or and she said it she's like you can't help others if your cup isn't full and I think that's so true and we often forget that we're literally running on empty and we're so exhausted to the point that we're the ones almost kind of the only ones in the relationship making sacrifices and those sacrifices don't do us that good especially in the long run I feel like when you keep continuing to forget about yourself and you continue to put yourself on the back burner but there are different signs of codependency and I kind of want to mention them because I feel like some people don't know that they're codependent because a lot of people don't research their stuff I never even thought about this until Zainab you talked about it one of them was, like you said, Zena, you gravitate towards relationships with people who are troubled or somebody who lacks stability. You didn't say it exactly like that, but there's a specific relationship you kind of kind of go towards. Yeah, yeah. You How choose you people who fill that, like Zainab was saying, you choose people who fill that void, who you're so used to that specific type of person, that specific type of relationship that that's all you know. Yeah. So anything different than what you know is going to seem odd. And you feel like you have to save this person. I've been there before where you feel like this person is just so down in the dumps and their life is just such a chaotic, it's just a, a series of chaotic events. There's a reason why I was sent to their life and I have to be their savior. Like, who the heck am I to be somebody's savior? Do you feel like it affects the relationships that you find yourself in too, Zainab? Um, yeah, no, absolutely. It, it definitely does. I think it, it affects the type of friends you choose, the type of people that you surround yourself with, just somebody's energy and their vibe and how they handle similar situations. It definitely does affect that. Another sign is also if the other, like the words from other people kind of affect you deeply and you react very 
strongly. And I think that's me. I think I take people's words to heart or how they feel towards me to heart, even though it might be just a temporary feeling or they might be just deflecting upon, like just deflecting basically. And it has nothing to do with me. And I just wonder why. I wonder why if it has anything to do with, you know, being raised in a sheltered household or anything like that, that somebody's words kind of affects you. Like, do you feel like it's because we were raised to always please our parents that here's somebody that's upset with me. So yeah, it's going to bum me out. I think that's it. I think we're always seeking validation and acceptance. So when someone doesn't validate us and doesn't accept us, Mm -hmm. we're like, what? No, this is not what I want. Yeah. And then you, and you start, you know, doing these things that you think is going to appease your, your person that you are so-called trying to you know, make happy. And the whole process is very like draining (laughs) because if somebody's unhappy with you, you being more caring, affectionate and understanding, it's not really going to change how they feel about you unless they're your husband or somebody that is a a big part of your life. But overall, like when you're choosing friends or whatever, um, loving them more is not going to change their behavior. You know, I really believe in that. But yeah, no, I think it does definitely stem from you trying to make everybody around you happy because that's the only way you can kind of gauge whether you're doing a good job. You know, exactly. if they're happy, then I'm doing it. You're doing a great job. If these people are unhappy, then man, I'm not doing a good job. And that's not true at all. I need to be happy with myself. I'm doing great if I'm happy. Like, you know, it should not have to rely on anybody that's sitting next to me. And that's another great point. That's another sign of codependency. It's when you kind of basically you settle for being needed with little to no value placed on having your own needs met. So it's like you're almost like as long as their needs are met and as long as they're happy, that means I've done my job and I'm good. Forget my needs. But then it kind of brings us to the next sign of codependency, which is boundaries. We are all struggling with trying to place boundaries, especially when it comes to our loved ones. It's very hard sometimes because our loved ones who might not understand what boundaries mean, they might take it as like, oh, okay, you're basically just putting up a wall between us. And that that's really not what a boundary is. Sometimes I guess it can come in the form of a wall, but that's not the way you want to set up boundaries. But it, it's like you find yourself constantly redefining your personal boundaries and the limits. Like basically like codependents are like infamous for saying like they won't tolerate certain behavior only to find themselves bend their own rules on behalf of their loved ones. Like I've done that before. Oh, where it's 100%, like, yeah. I'll tell this person, you can't do this anymore to me. This is where I'm putting my foot down and then like kind of do it again. And I'm like, oh, okay, fine, whatever. That's horrible. Like, I mean, what, you know what I mean? We're so, I think we're so quick to set boundaries out for like work. Like, you know, don't email me on the weekend. I won't respond to my emails yes. on the weekend. You know, even for friends, I think it's a little bit easier to set boundaries with friends, but with family, it's like, I don't know, it's just something different. It's very hard. And we say yes instead of no because yeah. we disguise it as loyalty. Because again, we were raised with like parents who we couldn't say no to. I mean, we all grew up in households where it's like you have to respect your elders. It's part of our culture. Yeah. So it's like, that's something I kind of really struggled with for a long time. I'd rather like exhaust myself than to give somebody a no. I can't do that. So thankfully, I I say thankfully, which just sounds kind of wrong, but <laughs> none of my family is in the States. So oh, okay. my family is back. <laughs> Back home, I do visit them a lot, and I love my family. Even though I've lived in America the majority of my life, I am very, very fond of my relationships with my cousins and my uncles and my aunts from both sides of my family. So I'm definitely cool with them. But to be very honest with you, I've loved living in my bubble here because I have really—that's one thing I haven't had to do. I haven't had to make these type of decisions or have these type of awkward, weird conversations with my family members, anybody outside of my mother and my father and my brothers. There's been nobody else in my life that has seen me go through anything or has, you know, um, just watched from a distance or anything because they've, they haven't been here. They've been all the way on the other side of the world. And um, I think to some extent it's worked in my favor because I've had a lot of privacy growing up and I've made, you know, whatever mistakes or challenges I've had in my life, I've just dealt with them with just my brothers and my mom and my dad and it's been beautiful and that's okay because you know they're my immediate family and we we love and respect each other but um yeah like I have heard a lot of stories from um, friends when it comes to extended family members and boundaries and how people interfere and you know people have taken advantage of each other all in the name of oh love like if you Mm -hmm. love them you should respect them and you should say yes and I just think it's so toxic like I don't think any anybody should be made to feel guilty for saying no to somebody you know based off of oh if you love them you will do this or if you love us then you should do this and it's just the whole concept of that is just it's not right it's a cycle we all need to break at least it's up to us i guess to break it and i think that kind of goes back to our 
lack of communication skills. Like we don't know how to express why we're saying no to something. It's kind of like we don't know how to express our feelings. Like I want to say no because so, so, and so, but I don't know how to get those words out because I feel like I'm going to be disrespectful if I do. So it's easier to say yeah Yeah. and deal with the task that you just signed up for that you didn't want to basically. Other signs are like, just like we said, having a hard time saying no, having poor boundaries. I think boundaries is the number one thing that we will be obviously having a whole conversation on soon. And then having a need for control, especially over others. So that's weird. You would think a codependent is like a victim and whatnot, but sometimes, yeah, they also come in the form of just wanting to control things around them because they felt like they had a loss of sense of control since when they were younger, they were sheltered and being, you know, overprotected by your parents. Now you feel like maybe this is my way of kind of being in control again and let me help this person out. Now I feel like I'm in control of them. Um, Another one is feeling the need to always be in a relationship. And I know there are people like that out there that you can't, and Uh you said this, Zainab, you can't sit alone with yourself like that's that's a big no-no. That's a big red flag within yourself. If you feel like you always have to rush and attach yourself to a relationship without just being whole on yourself, whole on your own and having a relationship with yourself first. And this sounds cheesy, but you guys, I mean, that's like literally the theme of our podcast is learning how to have a, have a relationship with ourselves before attaching ourselves to anybody else. I mean, re- regardless, we shouldn't be attaching ourselves to anybody, but just, you know, entering a relationship with somebody. I think that's a really bad sign of codependency. Like that's something I really fear for a lot of young women that just find themselves in relationships because they feel like that's what the next step in their life is, or this is what will make their parents happy, or they just feel like like they need that sense of bond with somebody, that sense of like, well, I can't be on my own. I mean, I have to be with somebody. That's just the purpose of life. No. And then, yeah, displaying fear of abandonment. That's the last one. And I think we do. We do have that fear of being abandoned because our parents just showed us so much love that it's like kind of almost all we know and we don't want to... We don't know how to be by ourselves. Yeah. We don't. Like, I don't think we would know how to survive coming from like the shelter of our parents' home to now I'm on my own. What am I supposed to do? And how am I supposed to act? And how am I supposed to feel? Honestly, and I sound like a broken record, but get to know yourself. And just simply like, just start with small, very small questions. What is my favorite color? What do I like to eat? What makes me happy? What, you know, what activity do I enjoy doing the most? And honestly, like when I was trying to recognize my own cycle, I sat down and I would be like, hey, what do I like to do when I don't have anything or anybody around me? Like, and I was stumped. I'm like, do I like to read? I was like, yeah, I like to read. Do I like to go to the mall? I like to go to the mall. Just little simple things that you just have to verbalize and just be like, hey man, this is this is who I am. And I honestly found out that I really like to spend time alone. And it sounds weird because I would never have thought that that's who I am. But in the last couple of years, I've really just enjoyed my own solitude my own thoughts and spending quality time by myself. And it has put me more deeper in touch with who I am than I ever, ever so before. I think before I spent a lot of time just hanging out with people and ignoring like my internal dialogue and my internal voice and who I was inside, because it was easier for me to go and attach myself to a group of people and just laugh with them and hear their thoughts and hear their feelings and hear their life stories. Because that way I didn't have to think about anything that had to do with my Self. I would really just just get to know yourself more, whatever in whatever way you can. And this is this is different for everybody. You know, for somebody, it's something like you know just reading a few books, or you know taking a yoga class, or just it, it presents differently depending on what you like to do. But just get to know yourself internally before you do anything else. And I think that will really, really help you. I couldn't agree more with you, Zainab. Honestly, the whole like being alone, like sometimes like literally my friends will text me and say, hey, let's hang out and everything like that. And then it's like, I don't know how to explain to them. I love hanging out with them, of course, but I, I don't know how to explain with them, to them that like, hey, I'm at a coffee shop and I want to be alone because it's just like, I don't know. Yeah, I crave that privacy. And I don't know if it's because I don't have any privacy at home. And it's it's like, to me, yeah, I look at that as healthy. It's just like, you wonder what everybody outside of you sees if they think that's healthy or not. But for me, like I literally snap about it all the time. I'm like, my, I literally get a high if I'm at a coffee shop all alone, drinking my coffee, reading a book. Like literally nothing will bring me down in that moment. I am just like the happiest being 
forever, just being alone and being in my private space and just like assessing my life and just thinking, look, yeah, having my, sitting mm-hmm. down with my thoughts. Honestly, <laughs> it does, you don't need a journal all the time. Like journaling is amazing, but I'm just saying like, if you want to take the baby steps of trying to really sit down with yourself, just rediscover who you are and just having a whole new relationship with yourself. I mean, if you're going to take the time to have a relationship with somebody outside of yourself, why don't you give yourself that same, you know, that same dedication? That's so true. And you said this really well, uh, Zainab, you said something that like that feeling of contentment that you crave from being with somebody should feel just as ripe even when you are alone. And I was like, I've never read anything more true than that. And I was like, that is so beautifully said. Don't get me wrong. It's nice to sit down with family and friends. It's nice to spend time with them. I I I would love to do it all day long. But then it's also nice to carve out that time within your day just for yourself. I need to decompress. I need my own time. Even if it's just like taking a walk around my neighborhood, I feel like, you know, there's always somebody at home. There's always somebody at work. There's always somebody at school. But when you're by yourself, you can, like you said, get to know you. I think we think we know ourselves. But if I was to ask you a question, Dunya, I think it would take you longer to respond because you're like, oh, wait, what is my favorite color? Like she was saying, what is my favorite thing to eat? I think we really need to ask ourselves those simple questions that we think we know. But deep down, it's like, I know nothing about myself because I never took the time to actually get to know me. Let's go even a little bit deeper than that. Because honestly, some people don't really know these simple things about them. But then how about we talk about just also just like understanding where your relationship expectations come from, because that can help you understand why you're getting yourself into unhealthy relationships. And I think that's the big thing. Like a lot of people kind of don't understand, like, why do I, you know, find the same people over and over again? Why do I find these toxic friend groups? Why do I find myself in toxic relationships, toxic marriages, whatever it may be? You have to understand what are your initial expectations? of this relationship or of any relationship in general. And then it can kind of help lead you to maybe, inshallah, a better relationship with whoever you're trying to, you know, if it's friends, if it's a loved one, yeah, whatever. any relationship, like you said. Any yeah. relationship. But I think this conversation was just very helpful. It was more like, honestly, a vent session because I feel like it's just nice to talk about these things. Yeah. It's not, you can't vent about these things to your parents because again, like it's going to take them time to understand because when it comes to how they raised us, they felt like they did the best that they could and they actually did. Like I absolutely, like just, I'm forever indebted to my parents because of the way they raised us and how they were there for us and how they protected us and how they provided for us. It might not have been the ideal way that I thought I should have been brought up, but at the same time, it's like, alhamdulillah for just just having a family and just having parents who really genuinely at the end of the day their end goal was to protect and care for us as much as they knew how exactly nope i i completely agree is there anything else you would like to leave off with Zena? because i feel like i absolutely love the content that you share and i feel like i love how <laughs> just very relatable you are you show all aspects of motherhood and just just even just being a girlfriend in general to be honest i absolutely love your posts i love your sarcastic snaps too they're hilarious <laughs> so i was like we need more of this i feel like my story is just like my inner monologue all yes, day and that's like, i love it i'm like that's exactly Things what i want to say if somebody was next to me but usually i'm alone so i'm like okay i'm just gonna type this <laughs> exactly do you want to let people know where they can find you and yes they want to reach you out? of course so my instagram is the new york nest and it has my blog and my email right in my bio so you can shoot me an email you can shoot me a dm whatever you like Thank you okay. so much, Zena, for your time. And this was such an amazing conversation. I really hope it helps somebody out there or just for somebody to feel less alone and understand. Mm-hmm. Or somebody, if you're really young and you're going through this right now, just know that you're not the only parents. one, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, it'll be okay. It gets better. It definitely gets better. It really, really Shala, does. Yeah. In hindsight, it's like you look at everything and it's like, alhamdulillah for everything, honestly. So <laughs> thank you, Zena. Thank you so right, much. Thank you, ladies. It was so nice chatting with you guys. Thank you. Bye bye. Take care.